This is the visible hand. My name is Jordi Blanes Vidal. My guest today is Jean Lee, who is a professor of management and strategy at Hong Kong University. Today we are going to talk about his paper, Career Spillovers in Internal Labor Markets, which he joined with Nicola Bianchi, Giulia Bovini, Matteo Paradisi and Michael Powell. The paper was published in the Review of Economic Studies. Jean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jordi. It's a pleasure to be here. Jean, what is conceptually a career spillover? I guess what we have in mind about career spillover is that individuals' uh, wage, uh, job they do is not affected just by the external environment. They're also affected by what happens inside an organization. The type of uh, career spillover, more specifically, what we have in mind is uh, the type of promotion opportunity within organizations can affect the career progression of uh, workers, especially younger workers. This is what I mean by career spillover. So the spillover is between uh, different workers, correct? So when the career of one of the workers goes better, the career of the other one is affected, I guess in this case, negatively. Absolutely. So obviously we want our, our papers to tackle like a, a question that there that has been unexplored up to up to this point. But I was wondering whether an area of research that there has been a lot of work on for many years, theoretically, but also empirically, will also fall under the umbrella of career spillover. I'm talking specifically of tournaments. Like the, the idea of a tournament is that there are different workers competing for the same position, typically like a, a job that has opened up or and the firm is going to offer that promotion opportunity to the a worker who performs better or, or matches some type of a relative benchmark. The, the construction of a tournament also has embedded in it the notion of career spillover, right? Absolutely. If my uh, coworker is more capable, maybe he gets uh, or she gets uh, promoted, I'm not promoted. That is absolutely considered uh, a form of uh, career spillover. I guess what uh, we bring in into this paper is uh, that the structure of the organization also matters for career spillover. And I just take uh, your example of promotion, right? It's kind of uh, if I'm a boss, I can tell one worker, if you do a good job, you get promoted. I can tell another worker, if you have done a good job, you get promoted. But maybe I only have one position that's available. Then only one person can get uh, promoted. So this is the type of slot constraint we have in mind that and we, what we are doing in this paper is to explore the implication of uh, slot constraint. So can you be a little bit more specific still from a conceptual perspective about the specific type of career spillover that you focus on uh, in this paper? The way to think about it, I like to always think about a worker's career inside the firm is like water flowing into a funnel or kind of, you know, you think about a firm as a pyramid, right? A funnel kind of a, a worker's career is actually moving inside a funnel. And then the type of slot constraint we have in mind is that maybe the opening of the funnel all of a sudden get blocked in some way. And once that opening get blocked, uh, perhaps uh, the water down in the funnel, the workers, their careers will be affected. So the... Um... The idea is I'm in a pyramid, uh, most firms have the shape of a pyramid, and my career is going to progress in moving upwards, of course, 
there is like a certain amount of constraint in that there are less positions at the top than at the bottom, but I also depend on the individuals at the top leaving those positions, i.e. retiring. And that's what you mean by the block. When they fail to retire, then that has consequences for me. You have uh, described it uh, very accurately. So I, I wanted to introduce this comparison with a, a tournament a theory or, or the work on, on tournaments, because um, the type of spillover that we have just described, the one that you focus on on this paper, if you want, is a, a vertical spillover. Uh, whereas the tournament theory will be a horizontal spillover, right? In that it is it is workers changing their behavior, performing better, performing worse or whatever at the same level as me that have a consequence uh, for my career because I'm competing with them. Whereas in some sense, this paper might be better described, not that the title is good, but you know, you could have added in the title career vertical spillovers in internal labor markets. I very much like the distinction of uh, horizontal and vertical. Actually, I thought about uh, describing this as vertical as well. But another aspect I'll add on to it is there's also a temporal, the time horizon to it. So for example, is you know, two workers, uh, again, competing for a position, but maybe for whatever reason, one worker already gets the top job. And once that worker is already get the top job, it's difficult to, to take the top job away from that worker. So what happens in the past in the organization is going to affect uh, what is available to the workers today. So on top of the vertical dimension, there's also a temporal dimension to it. So this paper has two parts, theory and empirics. And it is very nice in that there is a, a very strong mapping between the predictions on one hand and, you know, and the findings on the other. There are, in fact, a lot of predictions, down to eight. Could you describe the main elements of uh, the stylized model of a career spillovers that you present? So uh, you can think about the model we have is a fairly uh, stylized model. There are two types of uh, jobs inside a firm. You can think about them as top job and bottom job. The top jobs pays more and uh, it depends uh, more on ability. On you can, We also have two types of workers, the low ability and the high ability ones. You can think about the low ability workers should work in the bottom job and the high ability workers should work in the high uh, top job. But the workers started out, we don't know whether they're high ability or low ability. So they both actually start in the bottom job. And uh, after one period that their ability gets discovered, and uh, if you are high ability and there's enough uh, position available at the top, you get uh, promoted to the top job. Obviously, you know, I think the focus of the model is, is there enough opportunity at the top? And whether there's enough opportunity at the top has to do with whether there's enough people retiring or not. So one of the key prediction, if there's only one prediction in the model, is that if there are not enough people retiring from the top, then some of the, um, the high type of workers will not get promoted, and then their wage growth will slow down. Um, another thing is that if the firm is actually growing very fast, if we think about the pyramid or the funnel type of metaphor we talked about earlier, if there's always enough opening at the top, then we don't worry about uh, younger workers or high ability workers' uh, our career gets blocked. So I am going to describe the uh, main elements again, uh, and I am going to make a distinction uh, between uh, the elements 
that map into the empirical predictions and the elements that are there in the model but do not map into the empirical predictions. Imagine that we didn't know anything about org econ theory, you know, like all the workhorse models that have been used in the last 30 years and so on. We were talking to somebody on the street and we told them, see, in, in firms, there are two types of jobs at the bottom and at the top. The ones at the top pay more. The ones at the bottom pay less. So everybody wants to have the jobs at the top. Typically, the firm promotes internally. So it is workers that are the bottom that will be moved at the top as the ones at the top retire. But of course, if the ones at the top retire, the likelihood for, of promotion is going to be lower and therefore the wage growth is going to be lower. These are the elements of the model that map into the empirical predictions. Now, in your model, you have differences in ability across workers. You have the micro foundation of why the jobs at the top pay more than the uh, jobs at the bottom, which is that they de depend more on ability. It is more difficult um, or more important to motivate them. And so, so therefore they get rents and so on and so forth. Why is it that the jobs at the top are different from the ones at the bottom? They are not mapping into the empirical predictions because you don't have information on that. We will go into the description of the empirical setting later on, but you don't know how able workers are. Uh, you don't know how different the jobs are from each other. You don't know the reasons as to why you know, these, uh, these jobs are different from each other, why the number of slots is fixed, and so on and so forth. But you have these elements because as economists, we don't like things that are not microfounded. <laughs> Right? We want an explanation as to why this is happening. We are not happy as somebody in the street will be saying the world is like that and that gives me certain empirical predictions. Have I got the, if you want, like the, the inner workings of the paper more or less correct here? You get the inner working of the paper, uh, essentially, even get rid of the word essentially, get the inner working of the paper correct on and I would say uh, that version without ability and others are very much are reflected uh, maybe in a simplified version in an earlier paper by Mike Powell and I in the Journal of Labor Economics. That's kind of what we call the managing careers in organizations. Uh, it's interesting that you actually mentioned that you, know, you just talked to a, a person on the street and you know uh, they would find a lot of what we say seems to be uh, totally natural and obvious. In fact, when I talk to people, a lot of, uh, you know, including taxi drivers, talk to uh, professors of uh, outside economics, I tell them what I do in this paper, we do in this paper, we uh, get two types of responses. One type of response is, say, yes, this is exactly how I feel, <laughs> you know, kind of a career gets blocked, there's not enough opportunity. Uh, the other set of uh, responses is, isn't this totally obvious? <laughs> Why are you studying that, right? I think a lot of the economic machinery that is built in is to address the second type of response, is to say, okay, we want to make sure that firms have lots of instruments at hand and uh, they are dealing with a reasonably complicated uh, situation. Yet, given that, we can show this type of internal labor market where workers start with the bottom go up is an optimal pattern of uh, career progression. So these are the ways to microfund it. I have a similar experience when I uh, talk with my wife, uh, who works in a firm and is an intelligent person, but is not an economist. For her, the reaction to what I tell her that I do or other people do falls into two categories. 
it's either, as you say, completely obvious or not true. <laughs> right? There is nothing. There is nothing in between. I guess one you know, explanation is the curse of questions among economists, which is that, uh, I guess other social scientists as well, of course, which is that we want to understand why we are not happy with the world as, as it is. So a, a modern paper should have also an explanation of why everything more or less, at least within certain parameters, works the way that it works. Hence the micro foundation for the internal labor markets. But let, let me add the following, which is, even if the idea that um, when there's not enough positions at the top, then the worker's career get blocked uh, seems to be you know, natural or obvious. From an economics perspective, I would say it's not quite so because a lot of the view on the uh, labor market, it is a competitive market out there. And then the counter argument is that any time the firm is unable to create a position at top, then the worker will be able to move elsewhere. And in this sense is what happens inside of the firm locally should not affect the career of the workers. Because if uh, the original the incumbent, the, the employer cannot provide uh, the opportunity for the worker, market will. So at some level, the theory model, and together with the empirics, is to say there are actually frictions for workers to move elsewhere. And uh, this, and because uh, these frictions exist, whether old workers or workers at the top retire or not can have an impact on the worker's career. And I guess that an earlier iteration of economics from the, say, 60s and 70s, the Minserian regressions in which wage is on the left-hand side and proxies for human capital, including, say, experience, will be on the right-hand side, will have that type of naive prediction. That's exactly right. I think that this is the view about our labor market is essentially a spot market and the workers are paid their marginal productivity. Okay, so I'm going to repeat here prediction one. The wage growth of young workers uh, decreases when the older workers who were going to retire fail to retire. And the idea is that if the senior workers remain for longer in the top job, a smaller fraction of the young workers get promoted and they receive the higher wage uh, increase that is associated with that promotion. Let's go to prediction number two. Uh, what is that? So prediction number two has to do with, in our model, there are two types of jobs. We can call them blue color and white color jobs. And the prediction number two says that if it is the white colors uh, workers' retirements get blocked, it will have a larger impact on the career of younger workers. If it is the blue color workers' career get blocked, it's a smaller one. I guess the intuition here is essentially the same one as the one in prediction one, which is that the whole reason that there was the wage increase was the result of promotion, but you don't get promoted to a blue color job instead from blue color or from the low bottom to the top. Absolutely. Okay. Prediction number three. Prediction number three says the effect of retirement delay on wage growth is larger in slow-growing firms. What is the intuition for that? So if you think about the funnel or the pyramid on example we talked about earlier, um, a firm that is growing is the one that there's a lot of opening at the top. Then you actually... Uh, blocked the retirement of the worker at the top a bit, that's not going to affect the water flow in the bottom. That's not going to affect the worker's career in the bottom. 
But if this uh, funnel or this pyramid is already shrinking in some way, so the workers already feel a lot of resistance from moving up, then you have further people not retiring. That's really going to hurt the economy. So let me bring this to like a, an anecdote uh, from the popular management press. So I many years ago read this book called Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, who was the CEO of Facebook. And before that, they used to work, she used to work in, uh, in Google, I think. And at some point, she mentions that somebody, I think in Google, advised to her that the only thing that matters in your career is the growth of the firm that you are joining. Because if the firm is growing very rapidly, there are essentially not going to be any constraints to your promotion probabilities because the pyramid becoming bigger and bigger means that essentially every worker will be promoted because the number of positions at the top keeps expanding. That's essentially your prediction. In, in firms that are expanding a lot, it doesn't matter whether the workers at the top retire or not. Absolutely. So this is a sense, I mean, lots of, uh, some people will say that uh, growth is, uh, solves all the problems. But from a young worker's perspective, if you can, you want to go to a place that's growing and the firms that's growing basically have fewer constraints. Prediction number four. And the fourth prediction is that the effect of retirement delays on wage growth is larger for firms with larger spans. What is a span? So what the span means, if you again think about the pyramid or the funnel, you can think about that's the ratio between how big the bottom is over the top. If the span is very big, that means there's a lot of people competing for the same job on top. And in this uh, funnel or pyramid uh, analogy, on if um, the funnel is has a very large span, then lots of people are competing for the top job. And once a few people at the top are not retiring, then workers' uh, career will be significantly affected. That I think theoretically is not obvious because if imagine that the span was infinite, let's say, okay, so there is like a, a thousand workers at the bottom for one worker at the top then essentially nobody at the bottom gets promoted, almost nobody, which means that whether the worker at the top retires or not is irrelevant for 999 of the, of the workers. So it's not quite, I guess that under certain maybe parametric assumptions, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you can make the prediction correct, but it's not intuitive. I agree that uh, it depends. So we do need to have uh, parametric uh, restrictions on uh, this uh, prediction exactly right on that. I think the range of the prediction we have, you know, the intuition to have is that if there's enough opening on the top so that all the high ability worker get promoted, then of course, you know, if you just delay, uh, if you just reduce the turnover rate at the top a little bit, it's not going to affect the career of the workers. But once on the top is shrinked to a threshold, then these workers are affected. Prediction number five. The prediction number five says the effect of retirement delay uh, on wage growth is larger for more senior workers. Why is that happening? So the reason for this prediction is uh, if you think about the um, funnel analogy again, if there is um, a blockage at the top, then the, the water or the workers immediately below are going to be impacted where the workers are closer to the bottom, they are less affected. So that because will... they are the ones who might potentially have been promoted to this position that have been blocked. The ones further down the food chain are barely affected because 
they don't have any realistic possibility of being promoted to these top positions. Exactly. So that way, it all kind of it takes them longer to to come closer to this type of uh, position. Okay, we have uh, three more predictions, but we can leave them for later. Uh, what is the empirical setting in which you want to test this theory and all these combinations of predictions? So the empirical setting we have uh, is in Italy, happened in 2011, as something called a Fonero reform. So what happened is that in uh, December 2011 in Italy, a new administration comes in and uh, they out of a uh, sudden, they raised the eligibility for pension. And in Italy, essentially 88% of the workforce will retire once they get uh, the pension. So once you raise the eligibility of the pension, de facto, the retirement uh, age has been increased. So this comes to a shock to the workers. Uh, there is a newspaper at the time saying that the 1952 cohort in Italy was in shock. So what's going on is that typically people retire in 60, and if you are born in 1951, um, then you get to retire normally. You're not affected. But if you're born in the beginning of uh, 1952, then it's quite possible all of a sudden you retire like three years later. So a lot of countries have had this type of uh, reforms in which that are, if you want, like bland reforms that are purely like age-based. You know, you can retire at 65 and then suddenly it's only a 67. Uh, in fact, I think that right now Macron is trying to implement something similar, 60 to 62 uh, in France. But this reform was more complicated than that, right? Because it was the combination of where you uh, fell in terms of your gender, number of years of contribution, age, and so on, uh, that, that matter. Can you give us like a feeling of how these cells in which you fell uh, matter? For neural reform, they raised the um, age eligibility for men by one year and uh, uh, the eligibility for women by two years. If you retire based on the seniority criteria, which is a combination of how old you are and how much you contributed to the social security, then eligibility increased by two to seven years for men and one to six years for women. Okay, so you want to study uh, how this reform affected the uh, wage growth, promotion uh, opportunities, wage growth of workers further down the bottom of the food chain. What is the data that you use for this? So the data we get uh, out of the Italian Social Security Institute, we have two sets of data. One set of data is an administrative data that allows us to match workers to employers to employees. The second set of data allow us to calculate the social security contribution they have. Uh, this allows us to calculate the expected uh, retirement age for the workers. So what type of a data set are you constructing with this? So what we are constructing, the key variable we are constructing is essentially uh, how much the workers at the top of the pyramid uh, gets blocked. And this is a, a variable what we call on retirement delays. So essentially what we do is, you know, we look at a firm, we focus on workers who are within three years of retirement. And for each of these workers, we ask under the Fonero reform, 
how many additional years they need to work. We add up all these additional years among the close to retirement uh, workers, and we divide it by the firm size. This is a measure about how uh, the retirement delay was in the firm. This is the right-hand side variable. What is the left-hand side variable? The left-hand side variable, we have a set of left-hand side variable. Uh, one is wage growth or the contractual wage growth. Uh, so workers are on a particular wage contracts and specify the wage they get. So we allow one set of uh, left-hand side variable is the, the, uh, the growth in the contractual wage. The other set of variables are what we call the categorical promotions. So when workers, uh, how likely they are promoted from blue color to white color, or how likely they are promoted from white color to managers. Uh, we have a few other things about uh, hiring on layoff and others. So this is uh, a paper in which uh, the, uh, the theory model um, studies the organization at a relatively sophisticated level of detail but the empirical part is actually much coarser because the fact that you are looking at the whole of Italy, like your data set is obviously very big, is social security data, implies that almost by necessity, you are going to know very little about the internal workings of each of the firms that are in your data set. This is the main rationale to have wage growth on the left-hand side, right? Which is that you, do, you cannot really tell for the whole of the Italian economy, you know, what a promotion is. You know, different firms will have it registered in different ways and so on and so forth. You have a one, again, very coarse measure, which is promotion from worker to manager or from blue collar to white collar, but that's kind of the best that your data is going to give you. And then wage growth is a proxy for promotion as well. Yeah, I think you said it well. You know, there are papers out there that have very clear internal structure of firms, right? The earlier paper by Baker Gibbs Holmstrom, they'll have things to map out the entire uh, hierarchy. Uh, we don't have things uh, for that. Um, the upside we have is we have a universe of all the private firms in Italy. So necessarily, yeah, the, the, our wage, con contractual wage is the way we uh, measure uh, positions of workers inside the firm. What is the empirical strategy? So the empirical strategy is, you know, if, actually, let me take a step back on this, is um, so you think about what's the ideal strategy. Ideal strategy is uh, you have two very similar firms. Uh, they're like these uh, funnels. And all of a sudden, you just block one funnel by, you know, disallowing certain workers to retire for a number of years. And then you look at how workers down in these two different funnels uh, have different uh, career progression. So here is something similar. We're looking at uh, two firms, and essentially they're similar. And one of the firms, they have additional uh, retirement delays. So they're more and for the workers who are close to retirement, they experience uh, more years of retirement delays. And we look at the effects of this on the career of young workers. So this is like a, a difference in different specification in which you have like this variable called delay, uh, which is the measure of the additional years of delay in retirement weighted by the number of uh, workers of the firm that result as, uh, from the Funero uh, reform. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, so this is a variable that is time invariant, uh, but then you interact this with the post-2011 uh, dummy variable using like a, a standard uh, difference in different specification. So I want to go back to understand why is it that you constructed 
this uh, delay variable in the way that you did, okay? So the way that you describe it was, uh, okay, so we have like a certain set of uh, groups of individuals in our firm. So let's say that one group is women who are uh, 64 and have 20 years of eligibility. Another group is men who are 66 and have 26 years of eligibility. All these, you know, all these groups that were differentially affected by the Funeo reform. You count how many of the workers in the firm fall under each of these categories, and then what is the additional bumping number of years that they need to work in order to be able to uh, claim their pension. You add all these, divide by the number of workers, that's your measure of delay, then diff and diff as we were describing. So it seems to me that the way that you uh, constructed this delay variable implies that the variation is a coming from uh, two parts. Number one is, well, how many older workers do you have in the firm, right? So imagine that this is a startup that was created yesterday. You are not going to have a lot of people who are older than 55, right? Nobody who is remotely affected by this. So that's the first sort of variation. The second sort of variation is the idiosyncrasy of, say, two workers who are 64 years old, but one happened to have joined 29 years ago, the other one 30 years ago. The second is not affected. The first one is affected. That's the other source of variation. To me, it seems as if the second source of variation is good. The first source of variation is not so good. Like, you don't really want to confound young firms versus old firms, firms with young workers versus old workers, uh, you know, as part of your measure of delay. So here is another uh, way of constructing this delay variable that I thought might not be necessarily affected by this. So imagine that uh, you construct a measure for every firm of the number of workers that were going to retire within two years prior to the reform. And now you have another measure that captures the number of workers that are going to retire within two years after the reform, okay? So this means that controlling for the first one, which incorporates all the like age of the workers, age of the firm, and so on, the second one, controlling for the first one, the second one is capturing these idiosyncrasies of how the funeral affected that particular firm. That will seem to me like, a, you know, that additional control might have helped. Yeah, so um, when you think about the effects of retirement delay on young workers' career, uh, I think the two types you're mentioning is a bit like the extensive margin and intensive margin, right? The extensive margin is that you have more workers get blocked. And uh, the intensive margin is that for the same uh, workers, all of a sudden, one worker on increases the time and delay by one year, but another worker increases the time and delay by, by three years, right? Um, we also uh, focus a bit more on the second source, the intensive uh, margin. I think that's what I would like to think about how the results are interpreted. In fact, in a kind of earlier version of the papers, we basically controlling for the fraction of the workers who are kind of uh, essentially who are close to retirement and look at this uh, variation in the intensive uh, margin, um, but it was not reported in the final paper. What is uh, your finding with respect to the first prediction? Um, for the first prediction, the short answer is that career spillover exists. So for... Older workers, uh, when their retirement uh, delay is uh, increased by one standard deviation, then the wage growth of the not, uh, for the rest of the workers, 
goes down by 2.7%. Okay. What is uh, your finding with respect to the uh, second prediction? For the second prediction, when the blue-collar worker leaves, the careers of the younger workers, blue-collar workers are not affected. But when the white-collar workers' career gets on uh, retirement gets delayed, the promotion prospect of the blue-collar workers are affected. And the finding with respect to this is that indeed what you find in the data? Yeah, this is a, uh, this is the prediction, and essentially what uh, we find is that. Uh, uh, this is this is what exactly what we find in the data. When the blue collar workers are leaves, the probability of the categorical promotion, meaning that you promote from blue collar to white collar, is not affected. And if it is the white collar workers who uh, who retire later, then on the promotion probability, if I get it right, on of the blue collar worker goes down by six percent. So I am going to uh, describe this regression in some detail. Again, this is a panel data set of individuals and years. The right-hand side variable is uh, the uh, delay, uh, the variable that we have been describing uh, throughout. The left-hand side variable, for instance, is promotion to white-collar worker. Okay, so so we are looking now here only at uh, blue-collar workers, and if they get promoted, that's a one on the on the left-hand side variable. If don't if they don't get promoted, that's a zero on the left-hand side variable. Now, you split the right-hand side variable, which is delay, into the delay among blue-collar workers and among uh, white-collar workers. Your prediction was that it was the block at the top that was affecting uh, uh, negatively the promotion opportunities of the workers at the bottom, not the block at the bottom, right? If, if people fail to retire at the bottom, it doesn't matter so much. You said it exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So now you have then two coefficients, right? Uh, the coefficient for the delay among white-collar workers is negative and statistically significant, as your prediction was uh, giving you. Now, the way that you describe the prediction with respect to the delays for the blue-collar workers is that the coefficient should be zero. I am not sure that actually the prediction is zero, because obviously if a lot of blue-collar workers are not retiring, then there is most competition for this limited set of jobs. So the, the prediction should be maybe a, a milder negative effect, okay, rather than a zero. But let's say let's say zero. Now the the coefficient that you have is actually positive uh, and statistically significant at the 10% or 5%, depending on the regression or variations of this regression. I was wondering, you know, sometimes things don't turn out the way that we want them, and that's fine. Sometimes we can expose, rationalize them. Can you expose, rationalize this? Yeah, exactly. Just the, when the blue color workers get uh, blocked a little bit more, then the promotion to the white actually um, goes up. It's not obvious now on why this may happen. One possibility is that the firm may adjust its organizational structure in some way that if I am a blue worker and now I don't actually get uh, promoted or kind of uh, get blocked, then maybe organize in general, whenever we see more of a retirement delay, the uh, organizational form might become a little bit top heavy. So that could open up the uh, vacancy at the top a little bit, creating more people to get uh, promoted. So that would be uh, my response to it. So predictions three and four um, are that when the firm is growing less, the effect of delays is stronger in reducing the wage growth. When the uh, span of control 
of the firm is bigger, which means that the ratio of bottom workers to top workers is higher, then the effect of delay is on the decrease of wage growth is also higher. How do you uh, how do you uh, test these predictions? Is this essentially through like an interaction in your baseline regressions? So what we did is we group these uh, firms into three categories, depending on how fast they grow in the past few years. So we put the uh, top one third of the firm, we define them as the fast growing firms. Uh, and at the bottom uh, one third as the slow growing firm. So we basically run this regression separately for these three groups of firms. And what we find is that for the fast growing firms, on um, the effect of uh, retirement delay is essentially zero for the uh, younger workers. And the effect is three times larger for firms that are slow growing. So that's, that is for the uh, part about on. Um, firms that, you know, depending on whether they are fast growing or slow growing. The other part about the span is we are looking at the fraction of workers in the firm whose pay is above the median. The top half of them, we define them as small span. And uh, if uh, they don't have so many workers who are, whose pay is uh, above the median wage, we would call them the big span. And this is again, because your ability to measure the internal workings of firms is very limited, right? So you need to do something quite coarse as, you know, the median percentage of, uh, of workers above the median wage or, or the average wage or whatever. I agree with you. That's the best idea we can do is that, uh, the proxy we come up to on to measure uh, firm spend. Can you remind us what prediction five was and how do you test for it? Prediction number five is saying that retirement delay has a bigger effect on more senior workers than on more junior workers. And this is what uh, uh, indeed what we find. And the way we operationalize this is to divide the workers into three categories. Those who are above 55, those who we are kind of considered on more senior workers, those who are below 35, they are the younger workers, and those are in between. And what we find is that workers who are above 55. These are the group. This is the group where uh, their wage growth is most affected. Uh, in fact, the magnitude might be five times as large as the baseline. If there's one thing I would actually let me add here that uh, I think it certainly is, a, it's not a surprise from a theoretical perspective, but maybe not that much in the public discussion is the effect on these workers. Because anytime we think about a pension reform or retirement age, we, the first attention we pay to are these people who need to work for a few more years. The second uh, is we look at younger workers. <laughs> but really our, uh, our finding shows that it's these workers who are just right in line. Their career or their wages are most affected. So this is the part I want to understand. I guess the flip side is that their wages are affected temporarily, but because their own retirement is also delayed, they may end up receiving this higher wage for the same number of years because immediately they will not be promoted, but the promotion will be delayed. And then ones that have that job, which pays more because they cannot retire as a result of the Fumero reforms, they will be receiving these higher wages for the same number of years. They still may be negatively affected and so on. So the, the, the point is taken. But 
the uh, consequences of lifetime income are not are not super super obvious no that i agree i mean on the one hand uh, that uh, the younger workers uh, wage is affected less but on the other hand they have uh, more remaining years uh, so so it's um, it's yeah it's the relative of the two that that matters so this is a paper in which you have like a theory model and then a combination of predictions that have their counterpart uh, in findings from the data but you also have a discussion of alternative channels uh, through which this uh, variable delay might have been affected. You know, the, the left-hand side variables that you study, what are those and why do you think that these alternative channels uh, are not consistent with the combination of findings that you have? So there are a number of uh, channels uh, we look at in the paper. The leading channel is financial constraint. On um, So financial constraint says that if a few workers at the top need to work for additional years. Maybe now firms off have to pay them, and once the firms pay them, they don't have money to give a pay raise to the rest of the workers. So that is the financial constraint interpretation mechanism. We looked at this uh, interpretation in a number of ways. So one version we look at it is we look at firms that are financially constrained versus firms that are not financially constrained. Even for firms that are not financially constrained, uh, our effect is still there. So that's one way to say that at least our mechanism is there. The second way to look at it is if we think the main constraint is financial constraint. If it's purely a financial constraint, then where this financial constraint uh, show up should not have uh, different effects. For example, if uh, it is the white color workers who's retiring versus who's the blue collar workers who are retiring, they created the same financial burden on the firm. Then we should expect the effect that coming out of white color and the effect coming out of blue color to be the same. And what we find is they're different. Well, here, let me push back a little bit against this. You are saying, oh, um, if it was a financial constraints, that is, if there was like this a, a pot of money that the firm has that can be uh, distributed among workers, but now we have more workers to distribute it uh, among because the ones at the top are not retiring. This seems to be inconsistent with the fact that with, with the finding that the uh, delays among certain types of workers, let's say the delays among the white collar workers, are affecting the. Uh, career opportunities of a specific set of workers, let's say blue collar workers, whereas, you know, like a, a, a common pot of money will have the prediction that everybody in the firm should be equally affected because all of them are drawing their wage increases from that common pot of money. And I will argue that this is uh, not quite the case for every firm at least. So think, for instance, of a law firm that has different departments, let's say it has a, a divorce litigation on one side, and then it has the lawyers of that write the commercial contracts for the sale of oil and gas on the other hand. It is typically the case that the rents that are generated are distributed uh, not equally across all the firm, but maybe uh, within certain departments. That is, if the litigation department has a good year, it will be all the litigation lawyers that get a bump in their salary, but not necessarily the lawyers uh, on the non-litigation part. I guess that this 
is an example of law firms, maybe it doesn't apply to many other settings. And when you are looking at the whole of the talent economy, you can use the proxy that, broadly speaking, the rent sharing uh, that takes place um, among firms is a rent sharing at the firm level, as opposed to within firms, uh, within certain departments and so on. Yeah, I agree with you that, you know, if you think that uh, the financial constraints uh, is we have uh, one more additional dollar they are shared differently across different uh, workers, then you could have a differential effect. And personally, I mean, to me, this is still some sort of career spillover. I have more horizontal than the vertical we talked about. Another thing I would like to emphasize is that for the categorical promotion result we had earlier on the promotion of blue colors are affected by the uh, departure of the white color, not affected by the departure of blue color. That was seems to suggest it's not entirely financial constraint based. Another possibility is about a complementarity in production among workers. So if you think that the productivity of younger worker is helped by the productivity of the older workers, then when the older workers leave or stay additionally, they could affect the productivity of the younger workers and therefore affect the wages of the younger workers. But for this theory, it actually goes against what we find. So in particular, if you see there are more older workers staying because of their retirement delay, they should help the productivity of the younger worker. They should increase uh, their wage growth rather than decrease it. So in the sense that it's, uh, it's not entirely consistent with that, uh, that interpretation. So I'm going to ask you now a question that I hope to ask to, to every paper that has been published, especially if it has been uh, successfully published like yours uh, in a very good journal. What is the uh, worst thing about this paper? That is, if I wanted as a referee to reject the paper, what would be the thing that I would choose that would make you feel that, oh, I, have not, I don't have a good point? Uh, and that will make you feel, okay, well, you know, we can disagree about the merits of the paper and all this, but the criticism that uh, this referee came up with is not crazy. It's not something like completely invalid. That's a good question. I think if we could have better measure of the internal structure of the firm, and the finding will be more more compelling that way. So that will be the way that I'm, I think that's the dimension I think that the, the paper can be made stronger on. Thank you, Jean, for coming to the podcast. Thank you, Jody. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, introductory music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan. <laughs>